Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins with the message. 12. Hey, I want to welcome you to Calvary as well. We are at that time where we're going to get into God's Word. So if you made it today, without a Bible, there should be Bibles under the seats in front of you. Or you could just pull the Bible up on your smartphone or mobile device and follow along. But please turn to Mark chapter 3 today. Mark chapter 3. And the title of the message is simply 12. You guys know where I'm going with this, right? 12 what? 12 apostles, yes. And so Mark chapter 3, 7 through 19. If you're new to Calvary, this is what we do 90% of the time. So we prayerfully pick a book of the Bible. We start in chapter 1, verse 1, and we go verse by verse by verse by verse all the way till we're done with the book. Uh, We teach God's word. We're not really into man's opinions or self-help messages. We're really into God's word here. And I want to encourage you, 11 o'clock service, please don't be a lazy Christian. You say, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. Don't just kind of sit back and relax and, and listen to a sermon. I want to encourage you to have a Bible open before you. How many of you guys believe this is God's word? Do you really believe that? Okay, so this is a gift from heaven. And so we have the opportunity to open up God's word, to humble our hearts with an attitude of gratitude and receive God's word um, as is taught today. And so I want to encourage you, don't just sit back and take in, but open up, read along, ask God to speak to your heart today, uh, either in a leather-bound book or on your phone. And if anybody sees anybody Facebooking people, just go like this. How's everybody doing today? Good. We've had a great weekend here. So I'm glad you're here at the 11 o'clock service. We're going to pray, and then we're going to ask God's blessing on the teaching of his word. And so, Father, we are grateful that we can come together as a family and study your word. Thank you for the time that we had worshiping you today in spirit and in truth. Thank you for the genuine enthusiasm about the resurrection of Christ from the dead. It is the point. (laughs) Nothing compares. No event in history is more important than the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that has not put their trust in Jesus alone, as the one who paid for their sins, canceled their debt, died and rose again three days later, that today would be the day that they passed from death to life, from darkness to light. Today would be the day, Holy Spirit, where you awaken them spiritually to the truth that you love them and you died for them and you rose from the, for, for them and you're offering them eternal life. And Father, I pray that you'll feed the flock of God today, the word of God. And I do ask, Lord, that you would help us not to be lazy and not just to sit, soak, and sour, but you would help us to open your word and get into it and study and meditate. We know, Lord, from Psalm chapter one, that the person who meditates in your word day and night, whatever he or she does will prosper. Help us to understand the gift that we have in the Bible. And so, Father, bless now the teaching of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, 
All right, well, the last time we were together, actually two weeks ago, uh, we read about the growing opposition against Jesus by the religious leaders of Israel, the scribes and the Pharisees, right? They were all about outward conformity to a legal list of man-made religious rules, but their hearts were far from God, And so on the outside, these guys looked real religious and pious and reverent. But inside, they were absolutely dead spiritually. And what's so sad is that the only one who could give them spiritual life was standing right in front of them. And yet, they missed him. They missed their Messiah. They didn't recognize Jesus as the Son of God and, and, and as, a, as the Christ. And not only did they not recognize the Messiah, they grew to hate him. And they even wanted to kill him. Why? Because Jesus ignored their man-made rules. Because Jesus broke their man-made legalistic religious rules. Like, for example, healing a man on the Sabbath day. There is nothing in the Bible that prohibits anyone from doing any kind of good deed, like healing somebody, on the Sabbath day. But there's Jesus in the synagogue. And he's there on a Saturday, and he sees a man with a withered hand, and he looks over, and he sees the scribes and the Pharisees, and they're watching him to see if he's going to work on the Sabbath and break their rules. You remember what Jesus did? (laughs) He ignored them. He called the man up, and he healed the man's withered hand. And what was their response? By way of review, let's look at verse 6 of chapter 3. It says that the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to do what? Destroy him. And so the religious leaders, the Pharisees, met with the political leaders, the Herodians, behind the scenes, and they started having meetings and making plans to murder Jesus. So that's the bad news. The good news is that even though the opposition against Jesus was growing, his fame was also growing and spreading all across Israel and even outside of Israel's borders. We'll we'll pick it up today in in verse 7. And so in chapter 3, verse 7, it says that Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a what? A great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from the, beyond the Jordan and from Tyre and Sidon. And when the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And so Jesus is now officially famous. Great crowds of people are coming from the north, south, east, and west to see the miracle worker from Galilee, to hear him preach. And so Um, As you can see, Mark actually names the districts, the cities, the regions where the crowds came from. So as you look at the map, they came from the north. That's Galilee. That's up by the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a lake just to the right of the Mediterranean Sea and just north of the Dead Sea up the Jordan River. And so they came from Galilee in the north, and they came from Judea and Idumea and Jerusalem in the south. So you see that? Toward the bottom of your screen, they came from beyond the Jordan in the east, and that would be Perea. And not only that, they came from the cities of Tyre and Sidon, 
follow the Mediterranean coast all the way up, and you'll see those two cities. Those are actually Gentile cities. And so not just the Jews, but the Gentiles, they're coming from all over the place to see and to hear the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. And it says, And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. That's a big crowd. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him in order to touch him. And so, so many people were coming to see Jesus, there was barely room to even walk. You could feel the crush of the crowd. It's kind of like being at the Magic Kingdom, standing in front of Cinderella's castle before the big fireworks show. Anybody ever been there, done that? And you remember the crush of the crowd, and you can barely even walk. It's a good thing it's a great fireworks show. Otherwise, it wouldn't be worth the crush of the crowd. It's the same thing in Jesus' day. So many people are coming. They're actually crushing him. They're thinking in their mind, if I can just reach out and touch him, then I can be healed. And so they're reaching and they're pushing. And the Lord's going back, and the Sea of Galilee's behind him, and they're almost pushing him into the water. And so what does Jesus do? He says, Pete, get me a boat, <laughs> quick. And he gets in the boat and he pushes out a little bit and he uses the boat as a pulpit to preach to the people in the natural amphitheater that God had provided. Now Mark, in classic Mark fashion, doesn't record what Jesus taught, like Matthew and Luke. Mark's a gospel of action and so we go from action point to action point. And so now in verse 11, it says, and whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and they cried out, you are the son of God. And look how Jesus responded to these demons in verse 12. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. Why did Jesus silence the demons? Here's why. Because he didn't need that kind of advertisement. What they're saying was true, he's the son of God, but consider the source. Jesus didn't need demons to be the head of his PR campaign, right? And so, hey, I don't need that kind of advertisement. Be quiet. It'd be kind of like, you know, if there's a guy in poor St. Lucie, and he's at a bar, and he's guzzling down one beer after another, and he's slurring his words, and he's hitting on women, and then he starts to invite people to Calvary Chapel, poor St. Lucie. <laughs> hey, I, I, I know this church over on St. James, right? What would, we, what would we say? Be quiet. Here's an idea. Stop being filled with Budweiser and start getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Then you can start inviting people to church. That's the idea. That's why he rebuked these demons. And so now in verse 13... We switch gears and we look at the main topic of the day, the 12 apostles. It says that he went up on a mountain and he called to him those who he desired and they came to him. Now Luke tells us that Jesus spent the whole night in prayer before he chose these men. This was a big, big deal. By the way, if you're facing a big, big decision, Spend a lot of time in prayer before you make that decision. And that's what Jesus did. He's our example. 
And so in verse 14, it says, and he appointed how many? 12. Whom he also named apostles, so that they might, and if you don't mind marking in your Bible, please circle the two words, with him. So that they, may, that they might be with him. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the key to life right there. True life. So that they may be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the 12. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. Petros, rock, stone, rocky, right? James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Badnirgis, that is the sons of thunder, probably referring to their personality. They're outgoing, they were rowdy. Verse 18, Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and we all know the infamous Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Now before we make some observation about the apostles, I wanna give you a little bit of background. This is very important. I wanna give you some background as to why the Lord chose these 12 men. So if you're brand new to church, and you're brand new to the Bible, what you gotta understand is this book, this revelation from God, is broken up into two main parts, the Old Testament, right, and the New Testament. The Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And so in the Old Testament, you need to know that there's prophecy after prophecy after prophecy where God told his prophets to write down and to proclaim that one day he would send a son of David a man born in the lineage of King David, and that Messiah would come, and he would rescue Israel from her enemies, and he would actually rule over the world, over and over in the Old Testament. And so the Jews of Jesus' day, they were looking forward to the Messiah and the setting up of the kingdom. Well, guess what? In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it tells us that the king came. His name is Jesus Christ. And do you know what he said? He said the same thing that his predecessor, John the Baptist, said. John came in fulfillment of Scripture to prepare the way of the Lord. And John said, repent and believe the gospel. And Jesus gets baptized by John, authenticated by the voice of the Father from heaven, defeats Satan in the wilderness, and Jesus goes and starts his ministry. And guess what he says back in your book, Mark, that we're studying, chapter one, verse 15. Jesus says to Israel, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't know it, you need to know Jesus offered the kingdom to Israel 2,000 years ago. And he came and authenticated his kingship with mighty miracles. When the king comes to establish the kingdom, kingdom power is with him. And the blind are seeing and the dead are being raised and lepers are being cleansed and deaf people are hearing and crowds are coming from all over the place. And so Jesus came to offer the kingdom to, to Israel and I believe with all my heart 
that if Israel at that time would have accepted Jesus as their Messiah, he would have established the physical kingdom on the earth at that time. No doubt in my mind at all. But the leaders of Israel said, no, we will not have this man to rule over us. And so Jesus withdrew his offer. How many of you guys believe God is sovereign? Please raise your hand if you believe he's sovereign in control of all things. Okay, and so God was sovereign over all of this. And he even wrote it down before it happened. If you're new to the Bible, you need to know that the Messiah's rejection, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, did you know all those things were prophesied in the Jewish scriptures? In the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, Daniel chapter 9, Psalm 22, Psalm 1610, all predicting hundreds of years before it happened that the Messiah, the suffering servant, would be rejected, he would suffer, he would die, and he would rise again. And so God, of course, in his sovereignty, knew that Israel would reject his son. But if you're with me here, say amen. amen. You need to know that God's sovereignty never removes our responsibility for the choices that we make. I believe with all my heart that this book teaches the absolute sovereignty of God. And I believe with all my heart that this book teaches the free will of men and women. If you try to reconcile the two, you will blow a brain fuse, calm down, He'll tell you how they reconcile in the next life. But in this life, the Bible teaches both God's sovereignty and man's free will. We accept them both and we teach them both. And so, of course, God knew he was sovereign. He knew Israel would reject his son. But that did not remove the responsibility from Israel, the Jewish religious leaders, for that rejection. And by the way, Jesus wept. He came down the Mount of Olives on that Palm Sunday, weeping. The word in the Greek means he's sobbing. His shoulders are going up and down. He's crying as he sees Jerusalem. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a mother hand gathers her chicks, but you would not. You were not willing. And so judgment's coming. Now, scholars estimate that at this point in the Bible, the picking of the 12 apostles, that from that point to the crucifixion is about 18 to 24 months. And so Jesus knows that he's got about a year and a half to two years before he submits to the sovereign will of God and pays for the sins, not just of Israel, but the entire world. And so what is he gonna do now for the next year and a half? What is Jesus gonna do for the next 18 months? Months. Here's what he primarily is, is going to do. He's going to pour himself into 12 men. 12 men who are going to carry on his work after he dies and ascends back to the right hand of the Father. Now, some people say, why 12? Why not 11? Why not 13? John MacArthur says, and I quote, the number 12 was filled with symbolic importance. There were 12 tribes in Israel. 
But Israel was apostate. In choosing 12 apostles, Christ was in effect appointing new leadership for the new covenant. And so the Judaism of Jesus' day was nothing like the true faith that God passed on to Abraham in the Old Testament. They had become apostate. It was all about outward conformity to a legalistic list of man-made religious rules, trying to earn your way to God's favor, trying to earn your way into the kingdom of God. And so Israel was apostate, and so Jesus came. He fulfilled um, all the types and all the symbols of the coming Messiah, and now he's ready to establish a new covenant and offer salvation to the entire world. So what does he do? He picks 12 men after praying all night. And these 12 men would carry on his work after he had been gone. Now, for the remainder of our time, what I wanna do is I wanna make four observations about the apostles. You may wanna take notes. This is Christianity 101, but you need to know this, and it's shocking to me how far removed many churches in America have gotten from this simple teaching about the apostles. And so from these four observations, we're gonna learn why they're such a big deal. We're gonna learn why they were a big deal in the first century. We're gonna learn why they are still a very big deal today. And so our first observation, if you're taking notes, is that the 12 apostles were special delegates who carried on Christ's work. Okay, so we see that again in verse 14. Please look at it, verse 14. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might, here it is, send them out. Please say send them out. Send them out to preach, okay? So the word apostle, apostolos, it means one who is sent. And so the apostles were sent out as Christ's delegates to carry on his work. Now, did you notice in verse 14, it says that they were appointed. And so that means that they were chosen. In John 15, 16, Jesus said to the apostles, he said, you did not choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you that you you may go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. So I want you to understand, ladies and gentlemen, the flow of the Old Testament into the New Testament. Israel's leaders were apostate. The scribes, the Pharisees, the priests, the Sadducees, they had stopped bearing fruit. And so you know what Jesus, Messiah, said to these religious leaders who had stopped bearing fruit? Matthew 21, 43, he says to them, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And sure enough, what happens when Israel rejects her Messiah? The kingdom, the Davidic kingdom, the kingdom that was promised in 2 Samuel 7 to Israel, the king would come and establish a physical kingdom on the earth. A big old pause button was pushed. And that kingdom was postponed. And guess what happened? A spiritual kingdom was inaugurated through the church. Us. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. Guys like me who are pastors, we love that verse because it's job security. (laughs) 
I will, say I will, build my church. That's a guarantee from the Lord. It's what we've witnessed for the last 14 years since we planted this church in the home of Lee and Julie Holly with a handful of people. We, we've, we've witnessed Jesus building his church slowly but surely, continuing to do his work. Why? Because of our staff? Because of me, the pastor? No, because of Jesus Christ and his grace and the fact that we exalt him and point people to him as king of kings and lord of lords. That's why. And so Jesus chooses these men. They become the leaders, the apostles of the church. And the apostles, Peter, James, John, right, Bart, those guys, they are doing what the Pharisees stopped doing. They are producing fruit. You say, how do you know they're producing fruit and fruit that remains? Look around. Look at us. 2,000 years later, here we are. Jesus gives his teaching to the apostles. Thank God the apostles write it down. And faithful men of God and women of God teach and is passed on from generation to generation 2,000 years later in some obscure town named Port St. Lucie. Have you guys noticed that if you go anywhere outside of Port St. Lucie and you tell someone, I'm from Port St. Lucie, they say, where's that? What is that? You notice that? And yet here we are in Port St. Lucie, Florida, and God's doing a work, and he's doing a work all over the world. They produce fruit that remains. Not only were they chosen, but letter B is that they were trained. So I want you to imagine four concentric circles with me. You gotta use your, your imagination here, but please everybody look at me. You got Jesus, and he's right in the middle. And then you got a small circle around him. And then you got a second circle a third circle, and a fourth circle. Does everybody see that? Okay, those circles represent the people who were around Jesus. And so we'll start with the outside fourth circle. That's thousands of spectators coming from the north, south, east, and west. Most of the time, these people are fickle. They don't really have a commitment. They just wanna go and see some kind of miracle show. And so their, their interest is peaked. A lot of them have selfish motives. They want to see what they can get from Jesus. John chapter 6 tells us that they're there for a free meal, and Jesus calls them out. And Jesus, did you, did you guys know that Jesus specifically said things in order to lessen the crowds? In John chapter 6, he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And everybody's like, see ya. They start coming to see what Jesus can do for them in the material realm. Maybe you're here today and you're here to see what Jesus can do for you, make you more prosperous, give you a better home, a big better finances. Listen, that's not the gospel we find in the Bible. Jesus said to the crowds in order to weed them out to find out who's committed, if you would come after me, Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And a lot of people dissipated from that big fourth circle. And then inside, you have a third circle. That's the hundreds of disciples. And so they heard John the Baptist preach, and they repented. They got baptized, and they fell in love with the one John the Baptist pointed to, Jesus Christ. 
And they're like, yes, he is the Messiah. But here's the thing, they got lives. They got jobs. How many of you guys got lives and jobs? Let me see your hands, right? And so there's only so many hours in the day. And so they go out as much as they can to hear Jesus preach and teach. But then they got to go back to work. You know, the Bible says, unless a man provides for his own, he's worse than an infidel. But they're still disciples. They still love the Lord. But then from the hundreds of disciples, now you got a smaller circle, and that's the 12 apostles. And so Jesus, he calls from the hundreds of disciples, 12 men that he pours himself into for 18 months. Is this making sense to you guys? All right, and then you have a really little circle, and that's Peter, James, and John, the inner three. And they got special attention from the Lord. They got to go special places while the other nine were left behind. And by the way, we're gonna see as we go through Mark that that drove the nine crazy. They were jealous and envious. We'll talk more about that later. And so the 12 were chosen by Christ. They moved from being part of the hundreds of disciples into being part of the 12 apostles. And they received the best seminary training anybody could ever receive. They didn't go to class and listen to the teacher speak in a classroom. They followed the teacher wherever he went. The world was their classroom. Jesus was their rabbi and their Messiah. And wherever he went, they went. If Jesus went to the market, they went to the market. If Jesus went to the synagogue, they went to the synagogue. If Jesus said, I want to cross over to the other side of the sea, they got the boat and jumped in the boat with them. They heard him speak, they heard him preach, they saw him do miracles, they saw him ministering one-on-one for people, praying for people, ministering to people. And here's where I'm a little envious. At night, for 18 months, these 12 men got to sit around the campfire and ask personal questions of the creator of the universe. Can you imagine that? How awesome would that have been? These guys, ladies and gentlemen, are a big deal. They were chosen, they were trained, and then let her see as they were sent out. By the way, if you're called to ministry, please don't go in the ministry unless you're called, unless you're chosen, because you will get chewed up and spit out. But if you're called, that's okay. God called me. And then If you're called to ministry, make sure you're trained before you go out. Go to Bible college. Get get to know this book before you teach it. Learn how to minister to people. Join a local church. Minister in that local church if you're called to ministry. But the apostles, they were chosen, they were trained, and then After that, they were sent out. First, they were sent out only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why? Because Jesus was offering the kingdom to Israel. But then after the religious leaders said, no thanks, then in Acts chapter one, Jesus tells the apostles, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Samaria, those half-breeds, yep, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the whole world. Why? Because God, ladies and gentlemen, so loves the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I don't care what color your skin is, what background you come from, how much money you got in the bank, 
I don't even care what religion you come from in your past. I don't care uh, what your, your culture or background looks like. You need to know God loves you, his son died for you, and he wants you to be part of his family. How many of you guys saw the uh, funeral of Billy Graham this past week? I tell you, I almost cried. Um, what a man of God. You know what's amazing about Billy Graham, and we as pastors need to take note of this? He went through his entire life with not ever one hint of sexual scandal or financial scandal or impropriety. We're talking about an anointed man of God who accurately represented Jesus Christ and preached the true gospel of grace that God loves the entire world, Jews and Gentiles. What an amazing example. And that's what the apostles were called to do, to take it to the world. Our second observation about the apostles is that they laid the foundation of the church. Now here it is, Christianity 101. I really want you to hone in on this, okay? Because I'm shocked to see how far removed churches are coming from this. You need to know the apostles laid the foundation of the church. In Ephesians 2.20, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, you are members of the household of God. Did you hear that? If you're, if you're part of a church, that means you're a blood-bought citizen of heaven? What does that mean? That means you're the house of God. Ephesians 2.20. God does not dwell in buildings. Yes, his spirit comes in during worship into buildings, and we thank God for that, but God primarily dwells in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, who have received his son. And we're the house of God. And so you are members of the household of God, built, here it is, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. And so you and I are God's house. And you and I as the church were built on the foundation of the teachings of, the, of Jesus and the apostles. And Jesus, of course, is the chief cornerstone. He's the point. My wife and I just um, built a house not too far from here. And so for six months, we were in limbo, renting, and finally they finished our house. And on December 27th, we moved in. And so what we have been doing for a month, for two months now or so, we're done now, but uh, what we did is we kept unpacking boxes, boxes after boxes after boxes. And what we were doing is we were adding to our newly built house, putting up pictures, throwing down rugs, you know, making sure there's decor in different places. So we're adding those things. But you know what my wife and I did not do for the last two months? We did not mess with our foundation of our home. Why? Because the foundation is already set. It was poured sometime last year. And it doesn't change. And if somebody comes into our house this afternoon with a jackhammer and walks into our living room and turns that thing on and starts going through our tile into our foundation, messing up our foundation, how do you think I'm going to respond? I'm going to find the biggest security guy with a gray shirt and, man, we're going to go after that guy. We're going to be upset and rightfully so. Ladies and gentlemen, what you've got to understand 
and this is a very important truth, is that the church's foundation has already been set. What's our foundation? Ephesians 2.20. It's the teaching of Christ and the apostles. In other words, it's the word of God. And if anybody messes with the word of God, we get upset. I, I so appreciated Pastor Jacob's message to you guys last weekend. He taught on the book of Jude. He quoted Jude 1.3. The faith was once for all delivered. Please say delivered. Okay, that's past tense in the Greek. The faith was once for all delivered to the saints. Why is the word delivered in the past tense? Here's why. If you're with me, say amen here. Here's why. Because foundations only need to be laid one time. And that is it. And so the faith is not still being delivered. Okay, my wife and I added decor and pictures and rugs to our house, but we never messed with the foundation. And so the only thing that we add to the foundation is converts, new believers. But we never add new truth. Are you kidding me? There is no new truth. That's the only truth we need. Right there. And so the faith is not still being delivered to the church. And so excuse me if I step on toes, but when the Roman Catholic Church says that the decrees of popes and bishops and councils are on the same equal plane with equal authority with God's word, we know never. This alone is our final authority for all matters of faith and practice. If a Mormon comes to your front door and knocks on it with black pants and white shirt, riding a 10-speed, and he says, here, another testament of Jesus Christ. It's called the Book of Mormon. We say, no. We got the word of God, once for all delivered to the saints. We don't need anything else. And just to be fair, when you got some fringe guy from, the, from an evangelical uh, church, who calls himself a prophet or an apostle and stands up before the people of God and says, hey, everybody, I've received a new revelation from God for the church. You know what we say? No. We got this revelation. It's all we need. What we need to do is teach this book. That's what needs to happen, which, by the way, more and more churches are no longer teaching the book. They've exchanged the book for self-help messages to make us feel good about ourselves, and the church is blind. Why? Why are more and more people going to these churches that are preaching self-help messages? Because we're not in the book, and we don't even realize that the apostles are the foundation of the church, and the faith was once for all delivered to the saints. And somebody says, well, wait a minute, pastor, I'm an apostle, do you know what we say when someone says, I'm an apostle? What we say to them is, really? Have you seen the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, because not only did the apostles lay the foundation of the church, they saw the risen Christ. Did you know that's a biblical qualification for true apostles? In Acts chapter one, Judas has committed suicide 
The apostles want to replace him with another apostle, but one of the qualifications is the man they choose had to have seen Jesus after he had been dead. They had to have seen the risen Christ. And so those two guys there, Joe and Matt, Joseph and Matthias, they prayed, they cast lots, the lot fell on Matthias, he replaced Judas as the 12th apostle. Now, there's lots of good discussion and debate among Bible believers as to whether they should have done that, whether or not Matthias really was an authentic apostle. I'm not gonna get involved in that debate right now, but here's what I know for sure. Jesus chose Paul to be an apostle. Absolutely. Jesus said in, in Acts chapter nine, verse 15, Paul is my chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And when some in the church of Corinth had the audacity to question Paul's credentials, whether or not he was really an apostle, Paul wrote them a letter, and in 1 Corinthians 9.1, he wrote, quote, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen our Lord Jesus Christ? Paul knew the qualification of a true apostle, you had to see the resurrected Christ. Later in the same letter, he said, quote, Jesus appeared to me also. By the way, that's 1 Corinthians 9.1 and 1 Corinthians 15.8. And so, of course, Acts 9, Paul saw the resurrected Christ on his way to Damascus. It troubles me when men today give themselves the title of apostle and claim to have some type of special authority over the church. That would be like me giving myself the title general and going on a military base and start ordering around soldiers. By the way, how do you think that would go over? <laughs> They'd say, open the gate, grab them, one, two, Three, and they'd all salute me as I go flying outside the gate. <laughs> hey, why does the world have more discernment than the church? What are we doing? You see, if you haven't figured it out, I believe the office of apostle, that door's closed. And I believe that the faith from Jesus and the apostles has been once for all delivered to the saints. Now, there are some names in the New Testament linked with apostolos, but that just means that they were envoys, they were messengers that were sent out from the churches. It doesn't mean necessarily they had the same qualifications or were part of the original apostles. Okay, so does this make sense to you guys? Okay, so at Calvary, poor St. Lucy, we don't give the title apostle. That would be weird. We don't do weird. So the apostles saw the risen Christ, letter B. Not only did they see the risen Christ, they received direct revelation. This is Christianity 101. Direct revelation. Ephesians 3, 5, Paul's talking about the mystery of Christ, right? And he says, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, but now it's been revealed. To who, Paul? to his holy apostles and prophets by the Holy Spirit. 
That's Ephesians 3, 5. So ladies and gentlemen, the Holy Spirit of God gave new truth, direct revelation about the mystery of Christ, the Christian faith, to the original apostles. And what did they do? They shared it with churches. And what did churches do? It's one of our main verses here at Calvary PSL. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. That's Acts 2.42. And so the apostles, when they were alive, they were the living authority. Thank God people wrote it down because after they died, now this book is the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. We do not believe in any apostolic succession. It doesn't exist. The apostles are dead. We have their word, which is the word of God. We just, as I keep saying, need to get back to the Bible. Paul received direct revelation from Christ himself when he was in Arabia. That's Galatians 1.12. And Paul writes over half of the books of the New Testament. If you're a new Christian, don't start in the Old Testament. Somebody came up last week and said, hey, I'm new to all this, and I'm wondering, you know, the Bible's a book. Should I just start in the beginning and work my way to the end? And I said, no. I didn't say this part, but I'm thinking, if you get to Leviticus, you're gonna quit. <laughs> That's old covenant. We're under the new covenant. Learn the New Testament first. The teaching of the apostles first, the gospels first, then go back and learn the old covenant and it is important to learn the Old Testament. And so they saw the resurrected Christ, they received direct revelation and not only that, they received miraculous powers. This is important too. These guys were special. And so Jesus Christ, the king, came with kingdom power doing miracles and then he gives special power to his special delegates. Before he sends them out in Matthew chapter 10, he says to the apostles, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. And guess what these guys did? They healed the sick. <laughs> they raised the dead. They cleansed lepers and they cast out demons. And so in addition to seeing the resurrected Christ, another qualification for a true apostle is that they had special power to do miracles. I'm gonna give you a verse to back that up, 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Paul said that the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with the utmost patience with signs and wonders and mighty works. How many of you guys ever read the book of Acts? Do you remember all the miracles that Paul, God did through Paul? So he saw the resurrected Christ and special power to do miracles was an, why? He's an apostle, that's why. Now I have a problem, as I've already said, with self-appointed apostles. Men today who give themselves that title. I also have a problem with many of these self-appointed faith healers today. And they claim to have signs and wonders and miracles all around their ministry. But ladies and gentlemen, could we please use some discernment? And you take a closer look at many of these guys' ministries and you're not seeing genuine miracles and signs and wonders. What you're seeing is emotional hype, the power of suggestion and altered states of consciousness, even hypnosis. 
And so make no mistake, what faith healers, many of these faith healers do today, doesn't even come close to what Jesus and the original 12 apostles did 2,000 years ago. Not even close. And so don't be fooled. And don't get in your car and drive hundreds of miles to a quote-unquote revival in order to see miracle signs and wonders, especially when that man up there preaching has no character. And like some of these guys that we read about, they're having affairs with their staff members, and then they're going up to preach and talk about miracle signs and wonders. Are you kidding me? You know what we need to do? We need to find a local church whether it's this church or another church that teaches the Bible and exalts Jesus Christ, and we need to connect, serve, grow, invite, and give in that local church. We need to live out the faith in that local church. That's the call of Christians today. And someone says, well, that's boring. I'd rather go see the miracle show. Well, that's your flesh. That's your flesh. I better stop before I get in trouble. Does God still heal today, yes or no? Say it. Yes. Absolutely yes. Of course he does. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But what are we called to do in the New Testament? In James 5, 14 and 15, if any of you are sick, go to the elders, let them anoint you with oil, and pray the prayer of faith over you, which we do after every service here. And then guess what? We're gonna see what God does. But we're gonna pray in faith because Jesus has the same power to heal today. And by the way, sometimes people don't get healed, but guess what? They always get healed, either in this life or the next. God is sovereign. We don't believe in miracles on demand here in this local church. We believe in a sovereign God. And so our third observation, if you're taking notes, and we're gonna fast forward kind of fast through this, but your third observation here is that the apostles will be honored in the future. Okay, so one day Jesus is coming back. He's gonna rescue Israel, the nation of Israel, the same one that's over there right now, from her enemies, because all nations in the end times will come against Israel. By the way, have you noticed the anti-Semitism on the rise in our earth? Sickening. But he will come back, he will rescue Israel from their, their, their enemies, and they're gonna look up, this is in accordance with Old Testament and New Testament verses, they're gonna see the one that they pierced, they're gonna think Jesus was our Messiah all along, and then Romans eleven twenty six: all Israel will be saved. Trusting in Jesus coming to rescue them. Jesus will set up his kingdom, and the 12 tribes of Israel will be revived in the kingdom age. Guess who's going to rule over those 12 tribes? The 12 apostles who will sit on 12 thrones. And so Peter came to Jesus one day and said, Jesus, we've left everything. And so this is, I'm gonna make sure I quote Peter right. He says, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? That's a legitimate question. I mean, the guy left a lucrative fishing business and he doesn't know where the next day's bread's gonna come from. He's to follow Jesus, trusting in Jesus. Say, hey, you know, what will we have? Listen to the Lord's patient answer. Matthew 19, 28. Truly I say to you, in the new world, 
When the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Wow, that's gonna be a great day. We'll be there in our resurrected bodies, and we'll get to fly over to Israel every once in a while and see the king reigning in Jerusalem and say hi to Peter as he's over whatever tribe, and Matthew as he's over whatever tribe. It's gonna be awesome. But not only that, let her be, their names are gonna be inscribed in the New Jerusalem. Paul, uh, John on the island of Patmos sees the New Jerusalem. He has a vision coming down. He sees a wall around the New Jerusalem with 12 gates and 12 foundations. And you guys know this. The 12 gates have inscribed the names of the 12 tribes of Israel all the way around the New Jerusalem. But the 12 foundations of the walls inscribed on those 12 foundations are the 12 apostles. Here's a good question for you to go home and think about. Is Paul's name gonna be inscribed or Matthias? I have no idea. I don't wanna say Paul because then I gotta go after I die and apologize to Matthias, but anyway. <laughs> Here's our final observation. The apostles were ordinary men. Now, every sermon, you gotta have application, right? So stay with me to the end, because this is where it applies to our lives. The apostles were ordinary men. When Jesus chose his apostles, he didn't choose from the religious elite. He didn't choose scribes, Pharisees, priests, or Sadducees. He didn't go to Judea and pick scholars. He went up to Galilee and picked common working men. I like that. Men who didn't care about having dirt under their fingernails. Men who weren't as educated as the scholars, but you know what? They were humble. They had some pride issues that Jesus dealt with, but man, after they got filled with the Spirit, they were humble. Listen to what Chuck Swindoll says, and I quote, Jesus selected 12 ordinary average men None came with impressive credentials. They were Galileans, and many of them were fishermen, but by the end of their training under Jesus and the filling of the Holy Spirit, these ordinary disciples became extraordinary apostles. And here's your last point. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things that bring him glory. Now, what was the key? It was in verse 14. I had you circle it. They had been with Jesus. How do ordinary people do extraordinary things? By being with Jesus. Now, if you're with me, say amen here. Listen to this. When Jesus went up, who came down? Right? The Holy Spirit. And there's enough of the Holy Spirit for all y'all. So guess what? You can, even though we're a little envious about the fire, campfire thing, we can fellowship with Jesus every day by his spirit. He can talk to us through the word. We can talk to him through prayer. We can be with Jesus. And just like the original 12, as we hang out with Jesus day after day, week after week, month after month, week after, uh, year after year, decade after decade, what happens is that 
you'll see that you and I, as ordinary people, will start to do extraordinary things. How many of you guys believe God has a plan for your life specifically? Absolutely. Some of you might say, well, I'm you know, in my 70s. I think God's done. Listen, God's part of bad English. God ain't done with you. He's got something more for you to do. Extraordinary things. But no matter what age you are, when you start to do those extraordinary things, don't you dare touch the glory. I'll leave you with this picture. When you're walking down a country road and you see a turtle on a fence post, you know he had help getting up there. And when you see ordinary people doing extraordinary things for the kingdom of God, you know they had help getting up there. And so all the glory goes to God, amen? Amen. Praise God. We can play, praise him and express our appreciation to him. I'm gonna ask you guys to please stand for a closing prayer. Before I pray, let me just say that if you're here today and you're not even sure if you know Jesus, you may know about him. The question is, do you know him? You're not really sure that if, God forbid, something happened and you were to be ushered out into eternity, you're, you're not sure where you would go. Hey, if that's you, you need to know that this book, Our Final Authority, tells us that you can be sure where you're going when you die. And so please don't get in your car and go home if you're not sure that all your sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven. So what we do after every service is we have elders and pastors here in the middle. And as everyone's leaving, we make ourselves available with prayer partners for ministry. And so sometimes people stay, lots of people leave, but just let God be God. And if you don't know that you, whether or not you've started a relationship with Jesus, come talk to us. We would love to show you from God's word how you can know that you know that Jesus is your savior and heaven is your home. Prayer partners will be here as well and they would love to pray with you about anything and everything that's on your heart. Pastors will be here with anointing oil if you need to be anointed with oil and prayed for a physical healing. And so God, um, you know if God's speaking to you, I just want you to know that the ministry is available. And so let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your love for us. We're grateful for your word. We thank you, God, that we're built on the foundation of the teachings of Jesus and the apostles, and those teachings were once for all delivered to us. Help us to be faithful to your word, and God, help us to be empowered by your spirit so that we can be faithful to your word. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for their love for you. And Lord, I pray that you will be exalted through each of our lives this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, love you guys. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we wanna help. Visit our website at calvarypsl.com. Click on I'm new here. Then 
knowing Christ.